five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it news? Hello, and a very warm welcome to episode 0369 of Colourful Radio's weekly news review show, Five in the Eye. This is Phil Whitford in London, and I want to say a big thank you to Olu Alake for standing in for me last week when I was travelling around the rather beautiful Lake District. And this is me, Michael O'Hoodie, welcoming Phil back to Five in the Eye this week via Zoom. And we're revealing our top story is going to be about community representation. As young black ornithologists make the news for attracting people of colour to join them on the nature trail. We'll also reflect on the lack of diversity in the hugely successful Lionesses football team. What's story number two? Well, as the Tory leadership race trundles on, it seems as if Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak can make no end of promises in terms of policy initiatives. But how seriously should we take them? For our third story, we discover that the British passport doesn't open quite as many doors as it used to. Which is why Phil likes to head off to Europe as an Irishman. More of that later. And for number four, the Spanish Premier Pedro Sanchez has recommended his countrymen ditch neckties in order to reduce the need for air conditioning. And finally this week, to wrap up the show, we've heard of leaves on the line and melting tracks as excuses for not running trains. But a giant tortoise? One of the creatures was apparently blocking the route between Norwich and Stansted the other day. He'd been working his way onto that track for the past fortnight. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. We're going to kick off the show this week with a headline that caught my eye. It said... Flocking, flock together, the UK's first birdwatching collective for people of colour. I was really intrigued that birdwatching for people of colour, they got together, this is black folk, um, am I watching, uh, birdwatching? And it goes on to talk about the fact that, that Gucci have signed up for a campaign, they've got an album coming out, and they've just signed a book deal. But the two founders, one's called Ali Alokakapung, now apologies, Ali, if I pronounced your name incorrectly there, and Needham Pereira. And they're, 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 looking at, they look, they're looking at their hobby, birdwatching. They see it as old, white, tired, and stale, or male, pale, and stale, if we could say. And they're trying to liven up with people of color. Now, I was a bit peeved at that headline. I'm a peeved, that's why I'm a bit peeved. A bit, bit surprised, because one of the, one of the country's leading, leading birdwatchers, according to an old friend of the show, uh, my mate Jim, is that... Um, it, Dim, David Lindo, the, the, the urban the, the the urban birder on Twitter, with his over twenty over twenty thousand followers, is is a is a black guy, you know, and he's he's um a brand ambassador for for Likey, but Likey those those are the big camera manufacturers, high end camera manufacturers, and and for a range of clothing, some high end clothing is is a, a brand ambassador for. So he's, so he's a black man at the centre of bird watching in in um, in Britain, and it's a case of Ollie and Nadine don't seem to have been aware of or weren't aware of him. So they're going to form their own group, and good on them for doing that. But it just goes to show the fact that sometimes we, we can live in a little silo all of our own and think that's that's the way it is, and I've got to make a change. And good on them for doing it. But there are there are other black people in, in their film. So what, I, what, I, what, I, what I'm concerned about is that we, black people go off and do these things, and sometimes they don't do the, all the research to find out who else is in the space. 
You know, I, I find it a bit disconcerting that we don't you don't look a bit further, Phil. Were, were, yeah. were you surprised? Were you surprised when I told you there was a one of the leading bird watchers in this country was a was, was a black man? Yeah, I suppose I suppose I I, I, I was when you when you when, when you told me because I have to admit bird watching isn't very <laughs> high on my radar, um, and I, I so I, I'm not I wouldn't be really very familiar with anyone involved in in it at all. But obviously, you've got your mate Jim, who's a keen twitcher. Uh, and he's fil- he's filled you in on the uh, on, on the on the world of ornithology. I mean, what, what's quite interesting to me though is that you know we, we it, it does tie in, doesn't it, with you know wider discussions that have been had about um, m- maybe kind of going rambling or walking in the countryside is traditionally a very kind of white person's thing to do, and that maybe black people have felt excluded from that. And there must be a- you must be conscious, Michael, I guess, of other facets of life. Where where, you know, just by default, the perception is that it's a white thing and that maybe, uh, you know, maybe people of colour might not feel welcome or they think just it wasn't for them. I mean, do you have other other thoughts in your mind about other areas of life where this would also be the case? No, you're right. The the, the perception, this can be, this can, this can can seem to be uh, a a white domain. You know, you mentioned the um, rambling. And then National Trust is another case. And, and I know that the National Trust is, is making an effort to try and reach out to black people to to, to, for, to get a bigger, more diverse demographic in. Because times have changed. So like like there are there are communities of, of color who do the girls who do walking now, because they you know literally safety in numbers and black girls doing doing walking in the countryside for uh the, to see their own face, to see to work with people of color, but also from from security point of view. So I'm fascinated by the fact that one areas once once traditionally considered essentially white are much more open now or much more accessible to black people, either on their own, they can get together themselves, as as we're seeing that Ollie and Nadine were doing, or Ricky and those girls walking groups. Briefly, there are black people who do, are in those areas already. So it just reflects we've moved on. It reflects how society has moved on. And a case in point: one of my friends uh, complained about the, the lack of diversity in the start, the startup for the um, the recent Euros, women's Euros, and the English team. There were no black players in the start starting line, and it made me think. You know, because I've always made the joke, but I, I always find it hard to support an English team where there's no black players. And in some ways, that, that, that that's a bit short-sighted why do i say that because um you've got people like alex scott the, the black girl alex, she's a commentator and she's commentating she was commentating on that game and you've got you've got ian wright and also commentating on the game so these are people of color commentating on football so what we're talking about is not black football but football I just, just just i feel just to, just to close just to add icing on the cake if i, if I, if I can mix my metaphors the, the, a, a friend of mine wrote the theme music for the for the Euro Championships. You know, Sarah Thompson, Shirley Thompson, uh, Professor Shirley Thompson. Sorry, Professor. Professor. I must give her a, a full title, a due full title. She, she she wrote the theme, and and she's a person of color. So we're we're in or around. We're there. We're involved. So just because you don't see us on the field in the case of football, or maybe you don't see bird watchers. Or, or people walk, black people walking. It's not, they, they are there, we're doing it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that, that, that I mean, I do, I, I, I do take your point, Mark. I do take your point, Mark. But you know, I, I I think there is something a little bit odd about it, given that we know that the men's game has become, you know, increasingly diverse uh, during you know my lifetime uh, and our lifetimes being transformed. The England squad, note that the, the, the men's England squad, kind of noted for that. Um, kind of camaraderie and bond between players of different backgrounds and heritages and brought together by Gareth Southgate and so on. So there was very much that kind of feeling, wasn't there, with the men's team, that this was mm. diverse, multicultural Britain at its best and so on. So then it does look a little bit odd when you look at the women's team and see that it's not like that. And, um, I, you know, I saw some young black girls interviewed on the TV and they, they were kind of playing football at a lower level, but they obviously aspired to eventually kind of make it uh, up, the, up the, the, the footballing ladder, if you like. And they were clearly disappointed in, in the lack of representation in the team. So we can't pretend it's not an issue, can we? When you say it's not an issue, Phil, it's a case of expectations. Let, 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 let me turn around. Look at the French team, the French football team. It, it's black. Now you're going to say, well, France isn't black. But hang on a sec, but the team's black. But then you have to think, why is that? Why is that? They are the best players on the day. They're the best players on the day for, for their country. So it's a case of, of that, that, that sense of excellence at that moment. That these people in work together, and we have to maybe we have to just look at the team as in footballing, not in racial sense, not in racist sense. In terms of, I would say it's racist in terms of you've got to have a numbers game. That would, that would be wholly inappropriate because when you when you put numbers in there, you know, ten percent must be black. That that is unhealthy. It should always be about excellence. And I know that 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 Michael, you say no, that's it's you. Those are big words, Michael, you're saying then. I don't always believe them. But you have to believe that's what creates the country that we are. That's what creates teams that work together successfully, that we're all treated as equals. So in the sense that – so you didn't have a, a black player in the opening team for England that time. Maybe the manager believed the team for that moment was these people. And maybe as the game changed, and I believe they, 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 they did bring on a black player later on, because as the game changed, you need, you need a different – configuration different people so i guess if you rather than see the color first maybe you see the the the, the content of their character as martin luther king would say yeah see i the, mean the, the qualities I, I, they bring to the game i know where you, i know where you're coming from michael and I, I you know i don't disagree but you know the same argument could be advanced in all kinds of walks of life couldn't it be i i i could say to you oh well you know um you know, maybe the latest intake at Oxford and Cambridge is all white because they were the best people. But we don't really believe that, do we? You know, I mean, I, I, I kind well, of, I'd, okay, I want so to, I'll I want to, I want to believe, do. I want to believe what you're saying, but I, I, I struggle to believe it. No, okay. When you say the best that are all white, then you're gonna, then you could say, well, look, where are the working class people in there? What do you, what do we mean by working class? Where are the, the, the public school people? What's the percentage? We look mm. at those figures, trying to understand it. And this social cohesion and social mobility, those, those are important things. But, but I would believe we can't impose them on, on institutions. We have to work for them, create environments that allow poorer, 
black people, disadvantaged people to move into Oxford or equally to come and play football. Because mm. it may be that, that, that um, and I don't know, I'm not that close to um, female football. Maybe difficult for, for, for black girls to get to play football. I'm not aware. But it's, it's a case of, of we must open this and, and make, strive for equality. We, maybe we don't always succeed, but at least we, we, they should strive to make it happen. And, and if, if any, if any uh, of our listeners have their own theories as to kind of on, on this issue and to whether it is difficult for black girls to make it in football, please do contact us on our Facebook page. We'd like to hear what you have to say. I think before we leave the topic, though, Michael, we should just uh, take our hats off to the uh, to the uh, to the England team, which is an extraordinary extraordinary performance, and and packed out, totally, they yeah. packed out Wembley Stadium, didn't they? To play Germany and had all the hallmarks of going to penalties in Germany, winning on penalties, but the Lioness broke them all. So good on them, good on them. Total respect, total awe. Well done. Live in the eye. Story number two this week is inspired, dare I say it, by the Tory leadership race, but it raises a bigger question. Can you be inspired by the Tory leadership race, Michael? Probably not. But um, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, one of the hallmarks of this bizarre contest that's going on between them is that they kind of try to outbid themselves on various announcements and policy initiatives. Um, And so every day they come up with some new promise. And in the last week, you know, it could be Rishi Rishi Sunak saying, oh, we're going to find people who um, don't turn up for their doctor's appointments. Or it's Liz Truss saying, oh, we're going to expand the number of uh, of kids getting into elite universities or famously perhaps uh, Liz, Liz Truss uh, saying that she wanted to pay regional public sector workers less than uh, than they would earn in London um, as a way of cutting the budgets and then having to kind of row back on that within about 12 hours of it being announced. And so, the, you know, it seems to be a complete fantasy world in a general election. Uh, the politicians are usually very cautious about what they promise uh, for fear that they're going to be held to it afterwards or they're not going to be able to deliver it. It seems that in this Tory contest, Michael, they can almost just make it up on the hoof. Uh, they, they throw out this red meat to the, the grannies and granddads in the Tory constituency associations on a daily basis in the Daily Mail and the Express. And um, do we believe any of it? Will any of it come to pass? Or is it just all, all a load of... Of froth in order to, to to help them secure votes. It just seems pure theatre. They're talking to their base. Immigration. We're gonna send them. We're gonna send them to Zimbabwe, not to Zimbabwe, to, to Rwanda. Law and order. We're gonna crack down on law and order. You know, culture wars. We'll stop all these left wing agitators. We'll get them sorted. And they go on and on and on. And this is just that's their base. But when you, they're not addressing the issues that are affecting the ordinary people, you know, the national health, the, the health service. I don't know anybody who's not waiting or knows someone who's waiting for some 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 critical operation. You know, I know I, I, I know friends who don't even bother going to a hospital now. There's no point, you know, unless they're at literally at death door. Mm. You know, the national health service. It, it it's 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 um it's a difficult thing to to use. You know, and look at the, look at issues of of um, inflation. How are they addressing inflation? What what's their plan to 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 attack that or to help us with that? And the last one, Phil, my biggest biggest one is this energy energy bills going up. It's set to to treble. 
Mm. You know, average house bill, £3,000. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, Phil, no, we, we produce, 50% of the gas we produce is our, is our own. And we've just seen these, the, 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 um, the shells, £9 billion pounds yeah. in profits this quarter. And 50% of the gas we produce ourselves, 40% of the tax it goes to the government. So the government... Yeah. Let's get creative. Let's get. No, I, comple- about I completely it. agree. I mean, this you this know, whole what, what, this what, what, whole business uh, of the whole business of the price cap going up. Well, the price cap only serves to help the energy companies, the energy providers, doesn't it? Um, whereas actually, you know, that the, they're the, they're making profit. Um, particularly, you know, business like Centrica, for instance, which owns uh, British Gas, is a very profitable business. Um, and so, should it be that uh, people are struggling? Uh, in the way in in the way they clearly are while well, people are making profit well no no one really feels that that should be the case we feel the government should step in and take action but just coming back to that question of kind of what the politicians promise um it's seen one one thing that i've noticed is that it's very easy now just to to make some statement uh it's almost like you're testing the water you're running a flag up the pole seeing if anyone salutes and then if they if the reaction's bad, you pretend you never said it, or you, you, you or, or it's been misinterpreted, or, or, or something like that, and, and and within a few hours it's gone again. And then if you were asked about it the week after, oh no, we never said that. It's 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 this is the world of Trump and Johnson, isn't it? But it's extending now into the promises of Sunak and Trust. Will we ever be rid of this nonsense? I guess welcome to modern Tory politics, where, where, where it's the issues of the base that matter. And issues, the Tory issues that are that are on message. Like we're going to find people who don't turn up for NHS appointments. You know, we'll be already we're being crippled in terms of inflation, in terms of our wages not going up. So for whatever reason, we may not make meet an appointment. We're going to find you. We're going to ten pounds all, and you can just see blokes in the pub. Yeah, well, that sounds a good idea. You know, it just seems so petty, you know. And even when, even when they look at things like law and order, you know, it's just it's just old school. The, 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 the fighting last year's wars. And they're not talking about where we are today, modern Britain. And I just put it to you, I think they're exhausted. 12 years, run out of ideas. Let's move on. Let's have somebody else in there who can take us forward in a positive way. The issue, though, Phil, I think you touched on it there, there's not a happy future. You know, where we are now, in terms of the way inflation is rising, the way energy costs are going up, it's going to be tough for any government. But then I'm going to be up front here, Phil. I'm not bothered about the government. It's my it's my back pocket. It's my ability to, 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 have, to buy food and heat the house that I'm worried about. So what are they doing about that? You know, I, I sense, I sense. Well, they're not talking to me, Phil. They're not talking to me. You know, are they talking to you? Do you feel as though they're in touch with with, with the needs of you and your family? Absolutely, you know, I go absolutely back to the fact nothing. Absolutely nothing. Has any, any? Yeah, I mean, nothing. Nothing that they say has any relevance to me or my family, as far as I can tell. I mean, they're prom- yeah, You you could argue well, tax cuts potentially affect us all. But I just don't believe in any of their figures. I don't believe in any of their promises. Um, 
and and you know I'm I'm not even convinced that tax cuts is an advisable thing at the time at this point anyway. So answer in in a nutshell, Michael. No, uh, I'm not very convinced, and um, I will wait to see what happens when we presume this trust takes over in September and how many of the things that have been pledged actually materialise or whether she's going to be sat down and told that a lot of it was fantasy and um, uh, and she's going to have to get to grips with real problems. Five in the eye. Story number three was a story that caught my eye in The Guardian this week. It was about a Sudanese um, journalist in this country. He's been here for a number of years now. And he was... Uh, I'm going to put words in, perhaps I'm going to put words in his mouth. He was smiling at how Britain were angry at passport controls at Dover and the consequence of it. But he says, you know nothing of the challenges and troubles he has getting visas. Because he has to go, when he he ever travels, he has to get a visa because the Sudanese need a visa for many, many, many countries around the world. And then even with the visa, he's not not always guaranteed to get in. So he could have paid for the ticket there and the return journey, but he's refused entry for some random reason by the the um, the border control. And he says, "Welcome to my world," in that sense of almost the randomness, whether you're going to get in or not get in, or or, or equally how long in advance you need to plan to get that visa mm-hmm. to make sure you're going to get into the country. And and here we are, Britain. It, part of the, the negotiations, is that the right word? Negotiations for Brexit was that Britain wanted third country status, which they wanted a stamp in the passport. Mm. You know, so, a, a stamp in every passport at Dover is another kind of 20 seconds added to every car, isn't it? And uh, it becomes exactly. crazy. And the consequence of that, you start, well, how long are you going to be here? Can I see your return ticket? You know, there's there's so many caveats that come on top of that. Yeah. That, you know, suddenly 45 seconds turns into two minutes and it can be done. Now, I'm not saying the French are doing that. I'm sure that they're doing the best to keep things moving. Hmm. But that's what Britain wanted. They wanted to, you know, to to have clear, clear blue water. (laughs) And the cost of that clear blue water is uh, that stamp. And there's a cost, there'll be a cost in getting that stamp. Because it used to be the case that Her Majesty's passport was... It w- was going to get you anywhere you wanted to go. Now, when you were a top flight salesman, Michael, as you're fond of reminding us uh, in in the past, when you were flying club class around the world, you would yeah. just you would just flour- you would just flourish your blue passport, wouldn't you? And it would be a ga- it would be a, gate- d- a gateway to anywhere. Built back in the day, we, we were the number one passport in the in the world in terms of the number of measured by the number of countries who required a visa of you back in the eighties. Now we've fallen uh, to sixth, you know, in the countries because there's countries above us now. People like Japan, they 195, 199 countries want uh, let people from Japan come in without a visa, and think there's only 200 and something countries in the world, so a Japanese person can go anywhere. Well, Britain is lower down the lead. There's people who want who want a passport, a, a visa to know who you are, how long you're going to be here. All those questions that they suspect our integrity. So, if, if you balance that with global Britain, you know the Tory ambitions part of Brexit. There's a, there's a problem there, Phil. So, you know what what you, what <laughs> you need. What, what what you're really getting at, Michael, is what 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 we need is a couple of passports. Am I right? Oh, 
<laughs> for those of us who have chosen to go down that path in the same path as Boris's dad, <laughs> the same path as Nigel Farage's children, if you want to go down that path, Phil, please feel free to go down it. Well, what what, what can I, what can I say? My my mum was born in just outside Cork in Ireland, and um, very grateful I am for, for for that accident of history and birth because it does confer on me Irish citizenship as well as British citizenship. So I'm I'm very I know I'm very very fortunate like that. There's loads of people, of course, that did have applied for Irish passports and maybe German passports and other. And if they if they can prove any kind of ancestral heritage to 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 another eu country they've done it um and so um, i'm going to be experimenting in the near future by traveling in the eu with my irish passport rather than my british one <laughs> trying not to look guilty you have, you have to top of the morning to you you be topping it up. you have your guinness in your, your your rucksack there come on phil i think you're um what can i say but you're letting the side down you've gone over to the other side you know, it is, uh, but it's your prerogative. You know, you decide not to be British, you want to be Irish. Good on you. Well, I, I, yeah, I, cons- I, I consider, I consider that I can be both. You know, and that's the beauty of a dual. I can be both. Okay, so you're going to start talking in Gaelic then? <laughs> My Gaelic is a little bit limited. <laughs> I, I, I could say schlaunter if we were no, having. If you are okay. buying you a pint of Who's top of the Irish? Okay, who's top of the Irish Kaylee League right now? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, 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 um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd need to maybe check, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Kilkenny, and I'll go away and check. We'll leave the que- we'll leave the questions at <laughs> that. We'll leave the questions exactly, at that point, exactly. Michael. Exactly. Do you know it's funny? The part, when I used to travel around Europe, I was always wary of you know because I'm black. People were suspicious of me with my British passport. So I always have a, had a little bit of trouble. Not a lot, but it was always. Just a little bit of tension. They look at me, you know. The the the, the most tense one was uh, was on the the, the border between um, Czech Republic and and uh, Germany. They look, we were traveling by car, and they looked at my passport. It was we on those. Uh, we stayed in the car, and we put the passport up to this little uh, to the man in this little cubicle there, and he took my passport and he shut you know, he shut the door of the cubicle, and he was away. For, it was a good five minutes. <laughs> so the cube opens and he he, he he opens my passport and he points to the uh, my picture and he says, "Is that you?" <laughs> now there are many questions, there are many answers I could have given them given to that question, but there's only one. <laughs> I said yes, <laughs> and he said okay, and he gave it back to me. You know, I've never forgot that the fact that you don't mess with with these border control people. You know, if they ask a question, the answer is yes or no. Well, can I just check? Is it is it you today? <laughs> I think it is. I'm just just double checking on this. Yeah, no, it is Michael. Oh, okay. I remember flying into America. Oh, in the eighties, it was always challenging because I've got I had a Nigerian passport, a Nigerian um, visa stamp in my passport. They didn't like that 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 Nigerian stuff. What were you doing there? How long you there for? What you know? Mm. It was it was the third degree, and these people are not very friendly <laughs> as they interrogate you because they think you're out to cheat them. But you know, at the end of the day, I, I British passport with a return ticket with a hotel to stay at. You know, the credentials were all proper. 
but nevertheless, they, they they did give me the third degree just to make sure I was not um, not some some renegade right to do something illegal in in America at that time. So a passport is a is a precious uh, a precious object that should be looked after and respected. Five in the eye. Story number four this week it takes us to Spain, and the uh, prime minister there, Pedro Sanchez has um, abandoned his tie. He's a sort of quite, I don't know how you describe Pedro Sanchez, quite sort of dashing, uh, dashing, young, good-looking uh, politician, uh, the, 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 the Spanish leader. And he's taken off his tie and he's encouraging other people to do the same because he claims it will save electricity. And this was leading <laughs> quite a few people to scratch their heads. They couldn't quite see the connection between uh his his proposed dress code and, and and saving electricity but it seems to be his thinking is that if people go to offices wearing ties you have to turn the aircon up that little bit higher and so it's a way of uh it's one of the ways in which spain is trying to reduce energy consumption as a lot of countries in europe are now including most notably germany who are kind of cooling off swimming pools and closing closing down public buildings and, and so on. Um, what did you make of Mr. Sanchez, uh, Mr. Sanchez's suggestion, Michael? The first passport, I thought he was having a uh, giraffe or a, a laugh at our expense. But then when you think about it, this is nudge, nudge theory in action. I'm sure it, it doesn't believe it's, it's, it's going to save on the air condition, but it'll make people think. It'll make people think, and, and, and coming back to our to our uh, illustrious potential leaders and in, in Truss and um, Sunak, they're not do, they're not doing any nudging about thinking. They're you know when, when they talk about immigration, they're clear, they're upfront, and I would love to do little things like this, paying homage to the uh, the need the, 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 the need to save the planet, the need to to conserve energy because it's, it's saving money, it's saving the planet. And okay, the tie, wearing the tie is not going to do it, but you, it's that thinking. Because that, that thinking can take you into, well, look, maybe I don't need to fill the kettle up so much. I can only fill up to a third. Maybe I, I, maybe I can put a brick in the, in the toilet so I don't flush so much water. It's all those little things. So, you know, to fill, on the one hand, yeah, you can have a laugh at him, you know, what's that all about? But on the other hand, no, he does, well, the fact that we're talking about it today, and I saw it in, it was in Australia and it was in, um, it was in the Guardian. So this this story has gone around the world. So I think you know, uh, you know, good on him for bringing it up. Papi said that. When was the last time you wore a tie anyway, Phil? Well, at my daughter's graduation ceremonies, of course. Uh, Michael, oh, I did dress up for them, but strangely, for no, for work, uh, for work now, I don't ever wear a tie. And I, I I I stopped doing that a few years ago when I when I realised travelling into London on trains that I was the only bloke who had a tie on. Exactly. I stopped wearing in in the the, the mid the the early nineties when I was going to meetings and I was the only one in in a suit and tie. Everyone else was in not quite boots and jeans, but some of them could have been going gardening. You know, it was more relaxed. You know, I guess it's, we got Branson to own up for this smart casual. And he kind of it's he kind of invented it, and and fashionable. I always thought you invented it, Michael. But obviously <laughs> oh, oh, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. But I haven't worn a tie now. I can't remember the last time I wore a tie. 
you know, it, it, uh, it's there's a, there's a challenge for us. Let, before the end of the year, we need to get Michael wearing a tie and post up some evidence on <laughs> on our Facebook page. No, 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 no. But for for now, it's time to move on to our final story of the week. Five in the eye. So you know when you posted me this story, I couldn't believe it. I didn't. Was it giant African tortoise? Was found on a railway on on the Great uh, Anglian railway system. It's just it's an extraordinary story. There was a, a a giant tortoise was found injured, and it was found because someone posted an image that was photographed him on the other track because the, 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 his train stopped. And he photographed he saw on the other track the, this um this uh, giant African tortoise with with its shell damage. He photographed it and sent it up to uh, the um to the rail authorities. And they closed the line down to relieve him, to, to, to leave, to take him away. I thought that was really brilliant, you know. But I was just shocked at some of the headlines, you know. Tortoise escapes. <laughs> now I've never put the word escape and tortoise, you know, because you can always, they can't get very far, can they? But he, but he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he might not be the fastest. I'm going to get this in before you do, Phil. I'm going to get this in before you. Was he shell shocked? <laughs> I think he must he, he he must have been finding himself on the railway tracks and like like he did. But I mean, there can't be any other country in the world, can there, where the line would be shut down because someone had discovered a tortoise? This is this is Britain at its very best, Michael. That we we would never let that poor creature languish on the track at the risk of getting run over. We would we would stop the trains um and, and make sure that he was okay. Whether whether we the did, passengers they did stop the trains. Yeah, whether, whether whether the passengers were were quite as uh, taken with this idea of the of the trains coming to a halt as the tortoise was, I'm not so sure. But this is this is uh, the British spirit in action. It's that sense of doing the right thing. Doing the right thing, so you know, I'm, I'm, I was, I was a, a heartening story, a heartening story. Five in the eye. Well, that tortoise story told us it was time to slow things right down. In fact, to bring them to a complete standstill for this week, we hope you enjoyed episode zero three six nine of Five in the Eye. If you want to get in touch in the meantime, please do visit our Facebook page. For now, this is Phil Woodford saying goodbye and wishing you well for the week ahead. And this is me, Michael O'Hujuru, saying, as ever, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's five in the eye, done and dusted, over and out. Goodbye. Five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?